Today we finish up chapter 14, a very long chapter. As you see, 72 verses in this thing. Uh, a lot being covered uh, here by Mark. You know, Mark sometimes gets the, at least the reputation of being short, but he does a, a good, thorough job of kind of going through this uh, last couple days of Jesus' life. Uh, we just sang Hosanna. That would have been back four days from this. Um, Four days later, uh, here we are at night, on a Thursday night, and if you want to kind of go back to uh, verse 48, Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day? I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So that they're in Gethsemane, uh, and then they're going to take him, and, and we'll read about that a give our little map again the uh, the idea Gethsemane is over here there's the garden and the temple always facing east and so they take him over here to where we think is Caiaphas's residence um, so and if you see this map it has all kinds of different there's seven different places he goes Mark doesn't have all of these um, you have to read some of the other gospels to find out exactly Mark just gives us some of them uh, but uh, Apparently, he'd been led to the, the kind of uh, high priest emeritus's house before this um, with Caiaphas. But uh, so as we go into this, you look at uh, uh, what's going on here. You know, we, the Hosanna stuff, uh, people, uh, that was a messianic psalm that they were coming from. It comes from Psalm 118, um, which they would have sung on the way up there. And um, we'll look at that toward the end. But. Again, the expectation of what God will do for you is always important. You know, what is he promised to do? You know, the expectation back then seems to be, and we don't know for sure, but it does seem that they wanted, you know, they wanted their own control of the land, and which is, you know, a good thing to want. I like control of my land. Uh, but, uh, but again, it doesn't seem like Jesus is giving that, so you kind of seem, seem to go from Hosanna to, this is kind of cool, to what is this guy doing, to... What, he's got arrested? You know, it's, it's just, you know, you can see in the background uh, that the people are, even his own followers, are having a little trouble understanding exactly what's going on. So, verse 53, and they, th and they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Um, and remind you what Jesus had said about what Peter was going to do. Uh, so, uh, and, and remind you uh, one more time that John Mark wrote this most likely through the eyes of Peter. Uh, so, Peter does not come off good here, uh, which, and he's the one probably writing it. Uh, but then read First Peter and Second Peter. He, he gets it figured out. He follows at him distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the chief priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son 
of the blessed. So at this time, we finally get the question. Uh, it's actually a two-part question, really, if you look at it. Um, so you've got a lot, of, a lot of irregularities in this trial. It's at night. Um, outcome kind of appears determined to some extent. Um, it's, it's somewhat, this is one of those texts can be so familiar to someone who grows up in the church that we kind of say, oh yeah, yeah, they addressed him. And, you know, but, but if you really get into it, there's a lot more here if you let the scripture, even in something like this, speak. There's a reason it's here. Um, if you go into the Jewish Talmud, Talmud just means uh, study. Uh, it's the idea of, um, these are rabbinic writings of civil and ceremonial law. Um, there's the Mishnah <laughs> and the Gemara, which really don't get codified until like the 4th century AD, but they were in place by this time. Um, you know, there's not supposed to be a trial at night. Uh, they cannot be concluded in one day. Uh, you're supposed to have witnesses. This is all these things. Uh, so the Talmud tells us that they, they weren't doing it right. Um, but but the, uh, in fact, the word Talmud, I don't know if you, if you add an em at the end of any Hebrew word, you get plural. So the Talmudim would be the learners. It's the word for disciple. So I, I think the, the, the disciples, Jesus probably called them his Talmudim. That's what they were. Uh, they were the learners, you know. We had that scripture um, that uh, Fray Lane talked about, you know, make disciples, make Taladim. That's what we're supposed to be. It's learners, but it's not just informational learners. It's learners and then appliers. That's what disciples are. Um, so they, and they, they look like they're trying to do it right here, you know. Um, they're trying to find some just reason to convict Jesus, and it's not working. And I could just almost see these guys. It's like, oh, gee. Who invited that witness? You know, and it's a, uh, I, I, I like to, you know, uh, I was going to say name drop, but it's movie drop. You know, you drop these movies, you know, then I step back and I think, no, is that a good one to watch? Uh, I don't remember, I, I don't remember the year of this, but it was in Tom Cruise was fairly young. It was A Few Good Men. Anybody remember that? I, it was one of the neat movies about, it's got military and it's got trial and in there, but, but I remember in there, they're, they're one of the lawyers is saying to him, but we know this happened. And Tom Cruise's character says, it doesn't matter what I know, it only matters what I can prove. And that's kind of what's going on here. They're trying to, they know they want to kill him. <laughs> that's hard. We already got, the, you know, the, 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 what we want, the verdict's already there. It's just trying to find some sort of uh, justification for it, uh, which who knows exactly what's going through these guys' minds. We're not given a lot of that. Uh, I think that's always good in a Bible study setting to try to kind of step back and what were you think? What do you think they were thinking? You might be wrong, and if you are, I'll tell you. But no, I just can't. I mean, it is opinion, you know. It's the idea. What do you think, you know? And it g makes it more three-dimensional sometimes, you know. And because um, we tend to make these guys, you know, Darth Vader, you know, where they're just, dun, 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 you know, it's all over, uh, you know, and they're just horrible people, which is possible. Um, or, we, you know, they're just kind of misunderstood because of their upbringing and all that. It's, it's like it's probably somewhere in between, you know. Um, but they're real people. But they couldn't find any legal grounds. Uh, you know, in Deuteronomy 19, we even said, you know, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of any one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And we see this come into, you know, in Matthew 18, you know, in places about how are we supposed to do things in churches. You know, one witness is not enough. I mean, think about that. This is the way this worked. If you were out in the field and you saw someone kill someone and then run away, 
If you're the only one that saw that, that would not hold up in a Jewish court. It seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it, you got to have two. So they're trying to find this credible witnesses, but it's not working, you know, and, and Matthew gives us a little more about that, but Matt, Mark gives us some. Um, they couldn't come up with it, but, it, but they keep trying to do this, and so you go back and so why is it that they're doing this? Is it possible that the Sanhedrin wasn't monolithic on whether or not he should be executed? It's possible. Um, you've got Nicodemus who shows up and who is a Pharisee and a member of the council. He doesn't seem to be all that favorable uh, of killing Jesus at all. Um, get that Nick at night passage in, in John 3. We get the wonderful theology of being born again and what Jesus is doing. In John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world. Then you got Joseph of Arimathea, who also was a member of the council, who ends up getting the body. He seems to be sympathetic too. And I don't know if you thought about, we tend to take the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we turn them in all into this like evil people which, you know, some of them probably were, but they were there. Were they able to be redeemed? You know, the priests and the scribes that were against him. Well, we see this in the book of Acts. In, in Acts 6-7, so God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. Remember, G Jesus set, tells them, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. That's their... That's their marching orders. And they're still in Jerusalem in chapter 6. Um, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. That's kind of cool. You know, some of these guys that were maybe saying crucify him were the grace of God was more powerful than their evil. You know, maybe they were there at Pentecost. I don't know. Who knows? And then you get in Acts 15. We kind of miss this. This is the first church council. They're trying to figure out how you be Jewish and Gentiles get into the church together. But then some of the believers, which would mean people who believe, we didn't know that, in Jesus, who belong to the sect of the Pharisees. I know I've told you, you know, one of the things you can do is make your own movie when you're going through the, you know, what was, in my movie, one of these was Nicodemus. Um, my movie might be wrong. But obviously, clearly, some of the Pharisees believe. Now, they're, you know, they're the Gentile converts must be circumcised. They were a little silly. Uh, and, and then they deal with that. And you can read the rest of that, how that goes in Acts 15. But some of the Pharisees had believed, you know. And it, I mean, and looking at this text, how many do we know at least believed? Just one? Had to be at least two, right? <laughs> Probably more than that. But that's, isn't that cool? Now, they're a little, they're going to, it looks like they're going to, after the decision is made about what to do with the Gentiles, they're going to, you know, submit to that. Uh, and so, think about that. We, 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 it might help you when you read the Gospels that, you know, these guys are, they're not all evil all the time. Yes, they need to be forgiven, but so did the rest of everybody. You know, you know is there... Is there worse sins? Well, yeah, in some ways. Uh, much is given, much is required. But as far as damning you before God, or having that connection be, be greatly thwarted, yeah, any sin can do that. In fact, I've read, I think, that even eating the wrong fruit can get you in trouble. Right? You can eat anything you want except that one tree. 
It's kind of like I always like this with, you know, Super Bowl's over now, but like a kicker, you know. Don't you hate when kickers miss? Well, I don't mind it when it's the opposing team. But it's like you had one job, you know. Poof. You know, and you messed up. And that's the same thing here. It's like you had one thing you didn't, one tree is all you had to do. Not eat that one tree. And you, you couldn't do it. You know, so, but, but again, any sin separates us. And that's the gospel is obviously getting us back. But you can ima- could you imagine somebody? Is it possible that you have somebody that's you know, the one who said, you know, he, he's, he's power. He says he's powerful. He's on that cross. You, you bring yourself down from there. Could you imagine maybe that's one of the Pharisees that's now in the Jerusalem house? It's possible. We know one Pharisee that actually killed people. Or at least was there when they were killed. Now he, he actually became a fairly important guy. That was Paul. So don't underestimate the power of the gospel. It can always, always put light into the darkness. So he did, he did equate himself with the temple. He did say in, in John 2, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Um, and of course, they, you know, it's taken 46 years. That's how we know it's been that long. Uh, 46 years to build this temple. How long did it take us to build this church? It wasn't 46 years, I know that. Of course, it's not a temple either. Um, and you're going to raise it up in three days, and then it goes on, and he was talking about his body, and he kind of even mentioned that. Um, but the witnesses were charging it in a way they didn't understand. Again, it was the same thing. You know, Jesus, and in, in, in John has this. This word may not grab you if you read it in English, but if you get it in in Hebrew or Greek, it makes sense. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that word is? Tabernacled. You know, that's what the tabernacle was for. So temple was a way to dwell with God. And we've seen his glory. But notice Jesus doesn't say anything. There's a proverb, uh, Proverb 26. I always remember this one. Um, it said, do not answer a fool in his folly or you, became, you may become foolish yourself. There's a lot of people I know should listen to that. Sometimes that person is me. Uh, I, uh, now, that one right after that says, answer a fool in his folly, who may, he com- may, be- may become wise in his own eyes. Well, how do you know when to answer and then why not to? Well, what is that whole middle section, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms, what do we call that set of literature? Start to the W wisdom. So how do you know when it's time to answer and when it's not? Wisdom. And I think the one to be quiet is first. You know, it's the old adage, you know, better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, sometimes quiet is better. And then, and Jesus is wisely not saying now. He will say something. We haven't read it yet, but he's going to say something. And notice that just none of this is out of Jesus' control. He's in control the whole time. The only time he looks like he loses just a little bit is last week, right? And I don't think he loses control, but he, he's, he's having some emotional uh, reaction uh, as a human, uh, also God, uh, to what's going to happen to him. So the high priest's question is really in two parts. We may not grab this. Are you the, the Christ, is it, but it's Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Are you the, the one that David prophesied about? Are you that one? That's the first one. And are you the son of the blessed? Well, that's a little different. That's, that's a claim of deity. 
Are you the son of the blessed? So, you know, most at that time did not think about the Messiah being divine. You don't have to be divine to beat the Romans, right? I mean, obviously, Patrick Mahomes didn't have to be divine to beat the 49ers. Almost. But, uh, but you, mean it, it's it, you can win a battle in a war without being divine. But it would not be blasphemy, which means to speak against God and his character, to claim to only be the Messiah, especially if you're right. A lot of people claim that in history. There was a guy, by the, his name was Jesus. Uh, he was uh, from the Galilean area, probably about 6 to 7 A.D., who had a pretty big following. We find about this in outside evidence. Um, claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, they executed him, and his claim kind of got debunked. Why does, you know, I know we're thinking ahead here, but you can do that. Um, you can read ahead sometimes. Why does Jesus' claim so much more important? I mean, he got killed too, right? Why, why, why do we follow him? He didn't stay dead. That does tend to change things, you know, when you've got the power over death. So Now, Jesus often taught he was not only the Messiah, but God in the flesh. And, and you can, you know, if you have study Bibles or Bible encyclopedias or some good parts of the Internet, you can find, here's just a few, um, when Jesus calms the storm after, you know, and walks on the water. It's, it's a, and those in the boat worshipped him. And we read that and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, what is it, what does the first commandment say in, in Exodus 20? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down and worship them. And, they're wor and these are Jews. They're worshiping him. It's saying something, right? Either they think he's God or they're really stupid. I don't know which one it is at this point. But I think it's probably a little bit of the first one. And then, of course, there's a bunch in John. There's seven I ams. I am, if you remember, a go a me is, is the translation of the word Yahweh. And, you know, remember in, it, when Moses goes to the burning bush, who, who, who should I said is sending me? Because, you know, there were like, there's a God for everything in Egypt. And he gives that divine name. It's the first time we get it. You know, it's, it's really a word for existence. And sometimes translations will change it. You'll get, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, and I've always been who I will always be. <laughs> it's kind of that Yahweh. But Jesus says it in ways, like in chapter 8, in this temple discussion, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so that, it's a bad grammar, but unless you're using Yahweh there. And you can read the rest. Do they say, what's he talking about? No, they, they pick up stones to kill him. Why? blasphemy. Well, if it's not true. You get this in John 10, which is the good shepherd. Uh, I and the Father are one. Ooh, that's, that's, so he must just mean we're kind of connected, you know. You know what they do again? Must be stones all over the place over there, right? Because they're going to kill him again. They understood what he meant, and he doesn't back off. Um, that's the thing. If Jesus wanted to make sure he didn't get killed, all he had to do is say, you know, I'm just I'm just getting a little carried away here. I'm really not one with the Father. I'm really not I am. But he never does that, you know, because, because it's true. So just to paraphrase Caiaphas's question, I know you think you're the Messiah, 
Obviously, he didn't agree with him. But do you really also claim to be God? And what does Jesus say? And Jesus said, notice how he starts. Doesn't have to do that, but he does. I am. <laughs> and you know what they're He's probably speaking in Aramaic anyway, which would be the Yahweh word. Uh, I am, and you will see the Son of Man. Interesting. Seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, there's a high priest like, well, I don't really know what he means. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. In my movie, Nicodemus is left. He's getting some coffee. Um, do what you want with that. And, and maybe he wasn't even there. I don't know. But, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So that, again, a summary of what we get in the other Gospels. But so here you go. His answer is clear. You know, this is the time. If he didn't want to get killed, he just had to say, you know, y'all, I'm just kind of, I just got carried away. You know, let's all, let's all have some matzo bread and go, you know, it's okay. No, he just, he stays there. And the Son of Man may not mean much to us, but to them they knew what it meant. This comes from Daniel 7. And in, in Daniel 7, and uh, you can turn there if you want, um, the, uh, you have these visions, these night visions that he has. And as you go back to, it, the, the big one is in, in chapter, in verse 13. But you have this, this vision of heaven, I guess we would call it. And, it, you know, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, sound familiar? There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. You only give dominion and glory and kingdom to, to Yahweh. That all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is what Jesus is referring to. And they knew it. I'll have to give credit where credit's due. The Chosen Grabs is pretty good if you watch that uh, series. They they're talking about he's, he's claiming to be the son of man from Daniel. It's like, I mean, I think that's what he's doing. And they don't like it. You see in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's the idea that he, he in fact, you even get a little bit of rabbinic uh, writing about, it almost looks like Daniel's talking about what they say a second Yahweh. Wow. Now that makes a lot of sense for us Trinitarian folk. But it wouldn't make a lot of sense for a Jew. They were trying to get that understood. And what, why is he tearing his, you know, we think he's, this is a way, we see this in lots of ancient culture in the Middle East. That it's a way to say, I'm pretty much against you a very high level. Uh, and so they rip the robes. You know, that's the, seems goofy to me. I, I wasn't from there. Uh, but that's w that, that tells us clearly that he's just, you know, cut to the quick, as they say. So, so that's the trial. Um, we're going to finish up here with his Peter's denial kind of quickly here. Um, so because he's still there, you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch, as they say, uh, Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it. Ding. Right. Saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. 
And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say by the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to him, Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. We find out in another gospel, it's because of his accent. And that happens. I mean, I went to seminary in Texas. And I'd start talking, and they'd say, you're not from around here, are you? You talk too fast, and you have no accent. You know, it's like, but I can do it if you want to. All y'all know that you can always get an accent if you want one. I should sing a country music song now. That's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But that's why they, they knew it. But then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows thrice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Um, so we'll get back to Peter. Um, now, again, remember Peter was Mark's primary source, more than likely. So could you imagine writing this about yourself? It's one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, Bob, but it's one of the reasons we think the Bible is true because why would you write this about yourself if it wasn't true? Doesn't You don't come off looking very good. But again, it shows us his humanity, and it shows us a lot of grace as we get farther into the text. But notice his, progress, his, his denial gets progressively stronger. It's kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I wasn't with them. And then, I don't know him. Ooh, you can imagine, he was there at the Sermon on the Mount, right? Get away from me, I never knew you. I mean, now we, I mean could you imagine that? Have you ever done anything? <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever done anything bad, but I... I'm not going to put you on a couch or anything, but uh, I mean, have you ever done anything and then you get done and you're like, what was I thinking? Who was that? How do I reverse it? Now, what can he do? Can he undeny? Not really. I mean, I mean, what did these guys, these people are asking these questions think of his belief in Christ? He has none. This is an opportunity. You know, I was going to die for you, Peter said. You're not even going to die for him. You won't even stand up for him. That's, of course, what would I have done? Where were the rest of them? You know, Peter, who, who gets out of the boat and start walking on the water? Who's the one that wants to build the shelters during the transfiguration? Who's the one that never wants to shut up even though he probably should? Maybe you should have read Proverbs 26. He has a heart for God, but is again, and Jesus knew. Tune in to the, uh, I guess we're doing that on Saturday, uh, but we're going to have a, we're going to get some Peter's, Peter's thoughts about what this all went on uh, our Good Friday service. Uh, I guess it's on March 30th, because I think uh, Easter's on March 31st, so. We'll let that kind of speak for itself when we get there. Uh, but this is intimate. It's kind of like Judas's kiss. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very intimate and tough. So how could Peter do this? We're going to kind of end with this. Um, obviously, you know, our emotions, although they're a great gift from God, when they're coupled with truth, they themselves are bad determiners of truth, you know. You notice in a Bible study, I'll never ask you starting out when we're trying to figure out what the text means, how you feel. 
and I know I say it very boldly and somewhat kind of meanly, I don't care how you feel. Not yet. Let's figure out what it means, and then we'll talk about how it makes us feel. Because I think it's important to know how it makes you feel. And when you find out what the gospel is, that even though you're lost in your sin and you feel guilty before a holy God, that the cross is enough for you to be forgiven and have a connection with God forever, if you understand that now, how does that make you feel? It should make you feel pretty good. But often, emotion overrules when we sin. Almost always. You know, crimes of passion, they call it. You know, all these kinds of things. And also, Peter believed who Jesus was, but his knowledge was incomplete as to depth and purpose. He obviously didn't quite understand yet. And that's always dangerous. And I'm not saying that, that he should have. I don't know. Um, remember back in in Gethsemane, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We talked about that. I realized that maybe he won. Jesus never asked them to pray for him. Maybe they did. He asked them to pray for each other. And they didn't, they couldn't even stay awake. You know, I know I've never done that. I've never started praying and falling asleep. At least not in a worship service. I do that quite a bit before I go to bed. <laughs> you ever done that? You wake up and you're like, oops, sorry, um, in Jesus' name, amen. And then you go back. No, I, I, mean, I mean, you can't do that. That's okay. There is grace. Um, I'd rather have you fall asleep praying than not pray at all. Um, but, uh, but he doesn't do either here. He doesn't watch, <laughs> and he doesn't pray. And so maybe if he would have done that, he'd been a little more ready. Did Peter have to deny Jesus? Well, not until Jesus said he was going to, really. Didn't have to. I mean, Jesus could have died for the sins of the world without that. But his disciples and Jesus would have sung these Halil Psalms. We, you know, Hallelujah, praise Psalms. You, these are Psalms, Psalms or songs of ascent during the Passover. They're praise songs. You sing them on the way up. So no matter which direction you go to Jerusalem, you go up. And they would have sung these. They would have sung Psalm 116, which we're going to end with. Um, this was what they would have said, and sometimes we all do that sometimes, right? We sing songs and we don't really remember what the lyrics mean. Peter would have sung these at least once in the last 24 hours. Listen to three. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I call on the name of Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray, deliver my soul. Wouldn't it be nice if he would have listened to that, you know? <laughs> and then later in 7 and 8, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Maybe he started singing those after this, too. Maybe he started realizing that, because he does come back. But remember, even in the darkest times, Jesus' teaching is sufficient for overcoming this. And you see... Yahweh's love and grace coming through even the Psalms, let alone the Gospels. So, so I think if Peter would have known God's Word a little better, maybe if he would have paid attention and, dare I say, and this is preaching to myself, be quiet for a little while, uh, prayed, claimed his promises, he may have very well overcome this great temptation. I think he did next time. I'm sure he had plenty of temptations to come after him again. So I think we should learn from his, you know, watch. What does that mean? Be ready. Always be ready. Always remember who you're trying to serve. And pray. 
always be thankful that you, not deity, not overtly worthy because of who you are to, to even talk to a holy God, have that as a blessing and grace that you can lift up your voices to him. You can call out to him, he's told us to, and praise him and ask him just like Psalm 116 for deliverance. Let us pray. Father, as we lift up our voices to you, sometimes we forget uh, that this is a privilege. Uh, it's not some sort of right we have because we follow your son. It's, a, it's always a privilege. It's always grace that we could come before the throne of your grace and ask uh, for forgiveness, to uh, ask for all kinds of things in our life, to, to thank you for what you've already done and to praise you for who you are. Uh, what a privilege prayer is, and we see in Peter perhaps maybe not doing that when he should and not tapping into that uh, spirit uh, made him uh, deny his Lord at a time when he could have lifted up uh, his voice for him. Uh, may we learn from that. May we always remember it as a privilege to lift up our voices to you and always that it's a privilege to call you Father.